Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Okay, welcome to the Massah Israel Conversation podcast for a special episode. As you know, we're not going to be in our normal format debating issues. We don't usually do current event topics, but with the current events being what they are, I think it's important that we speak to our listeners who want to hear what we have to say. I'm Michael Unterberg, your host. I'm going to ask my panel to please introduce themselves so that the listener can associate the name with the voice, because we have a four-person panel today, and we will be discussing what we expect to happen in the not-too-distant future with this current war in Gaza. So would you please introduce yourself, starting with Alan? Hi, I'm Alan Goldman, educator, and happy to be back on the podcast, but not so happy about the unfortunate uh, circumstances. Mordechai? Hi, Mordechai Cohen, work as an Israel educator as well. I live in Lod. It's great to be with you all here on the podcast, Difficult Time in Israel. Awkwardly, we have a new uh, panelist. It's a weird time to bring you in. Sorry about that, Jordana, but could you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Jordana Seidel. I am a researcher at NGO Monitor. I just recently made Aliyah about two years ago to Herzliya now, so this is definitely a first for me here in Israel. Well, welcome to the podcast. I wish we could have brought you on for a cooler episode. So Kalev asked that we do, he, he's doing an episode on where we are now. And we're going to release both episodes as bonus episodes simultaneously uh, outside of our normal uh, flow of episodes. Uh, And our task is to talk about what we think is happening uh, now and what will happen in uh, Mitzah Haravot Barzel, Operation Iron Swords. So just to bring people into what we've been thinking about so far as we were sort of talking before we started recording, uh, we've heard from government spokespeople and we've heard from panelists on Israeli media that the goals of this operation are the elimination of Hamas, the deterrence of Hezbollah in the north, hopefully, if, any, if it's at all possible, the rescue of the dozens of hostages currently in Gaza. This will make a completely different Gaza and a new Middle East. Those, I don't know if those are... The hyperbolic words of... Yeah, I would say that's the rhetoric of the government. I don't know that it's the goals of the mission. In other words, I'm not going to hold them accountable if the whole Middle East doesn't change after this, but I will hold them accountable if the military goal of making Hamas a non-factor, that's their said realistic goal, not their hyperbolic projection. So we're just going to do this sort of very conversational style. We're all processing as we go along. Who wants to start? Alan, do you want to give us some thoughts about what you're thinking about what's coming up ahead? Well, I guess I'll go to the, the how my mind works a little bit and the macro, right? About how, like, why, you know, what we're thinking about. So do we need a trigger warning? We're about to enter the mind of Alan Goldman. Is that? Exactly. No, but we look at history to try and understand what's happening, what's going to happen next and how we're going and, and how that's going to play out. And when you have and what's happened now is we have really an unprecedented moment in 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 Israeli history, let's talk and in Jewish history. Um, so we look and we look for like different ways that happened in the past. I don't know it's going to be, but but and then we, we sort of look to the future. The diff- the problem is, is that when you have these unprecedented emo- moments, it's very hard to determine like how what what's going to work, what's going to work out. So what it's done is it's it's shifted Israel. It's a, it's a paradigm shift in how Israel is dealing with Gaza, right? Because up until now, since Israel withdrew from Gaza, the paradigm was containment. And based on the containment was, well, we don't know what's going to come. We don't know what's worse than Hamas that comes out. 
Um, and now that paradigm has shifted because, well, maybe Hamas is the worst, you know, just as bad as it gets. Yeah. And we're no longer going to be in that 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 situation of containment. And we're going to change the nature of how we deal with Gaza Strip. And the first project of that is making Hamas, eliminating it as a factor in governing the the Gaza Strip because I, I don't I'm not I'm not so sure that Israel can change necessarily the ideas because Hamas is not is an idea that is linked to a much bigger radical Islamic world here in the Middle East Islamist I would say Islamist uh, that that pops up it's almost like that Hydra right that mm-hmm. the, there's another a head pops up all over the place there was ISIS and the Islamic Brotherhood in Egypt and then you have in other places so. That, that my head is okay. There's now this paradigm shift, and Israel has now located its its mark of eliminating Hamas. And so that means that there's going to have to be a ground invasion, because there's no way that without boots on the ground that's not going to happen. Um, and and so how long is that going to last? These are, I guess these are questions I'm asking myself, as much as I'm also have, have, hearing from my students. But because it's a paradigm shift, we can't say that, like, on last rounds... And it'll probably be a week or two weeks tops, you know, you know, a month or something until, you know, we know that the international community is going to get involved to start a peace, you know, to start trying to get not a peace, but a a a ceasefire. All, all those things no longer they don't fit into that paradigm now. So now I'm like thinking, OK, so I'm getting myself ready intellectually, emotionally and also physically in the home and all that for a long haul that it's going to take a while. Weeks, at least. Yeah. I will also say, and this this I, I've I've mentioned before to other groups, when you have uh, disproportionate you know sides, that one side is much stronger than the other. So obviously the weaker side has uh, real difficulty uh, gaining a military advantage over the stronger, and the best advantage they can have is when they achieve a surprise, which is hard to do. But Hamas successfully, you know, six thirty Shabbat morning this past Shabbat, achieved surprise. And so they struck a devastating blow, well over a thousand dead. Uh, what happens in those situations when those types of militias do get that element of surprise? Every minute that ticks by, every hour that ticks by, every day that ticks by, that advantage dissipates into the air. And so every minute that ticks forward, every hour that ticks forward, every day that ticks forward, uh, that's that's an advantage for the IDF that works in our favor. So not to say that the uh, upcoming weeks are, aren't going to be heartbreaking and we're going to, you know, now it's going to switch from civilian casualties to soldier casualties, which aren't any less heartbreaking. But I don't think the end is in question in my mind. So I'll, I'll, go, I'll say one more thing and then I'm going to then I'll shut up just to, to respond to that is that, um, yes, I agree with that assessment. The only like a uh, qualifier I will put in there is that we don't know also what surprises await yeah. the IDF when they get into Gaza. Yeah, so I just want to piggyback on, on Alan's last comment, uh, um, which is that, first of all, I hope you're right, Mike, um, but I'm concerned that when Israel actually begins the ground uh, invasion, that it's it, it's going to be extremely hard going. And what we've seen is that even when an enemy doesn't have the uh, doesn't have the size, uh, but they have the home ground advantage, and they've uh, made tunnels and they've created all sorts of uh, traps, uh, and they've, they've seen this coming. Uh, that our soldiers are going to be in, in tremendous peril. 
Um, so it's uh, it's a very it's a you know I don't want to uh, make anybody nervous right now, but it's a scary time. It's it's a very scary time in, in terms of the next couple of days when the ground invasion begins. I don't know what it means that it's going to last for weeks and weeks. Um, I think that these things are going to go a little bit uh, faster. Maybe I'm maybe I'm going to be totally wrong here, but I I just don't think that the international community um, will sustain a, a, a massive ground invasion with uh with many 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 casualties for uh longer than uh, a couple of weeks maximum and i don't know what it means i'll just throw out one more one more piece and that is you know i don't understand and and maybe you guys can all jump on me and tell me explain it to me uh, but i i don't understand how either we've decided that there's no more distinction to be made by, between a regular citizen of Gaza and a card-carrying Hamas person. And so therefore, everybody in Gaza are, are now Hamas. And so everybody is fair game to go after because they're all responsible for the terrible uh, massacre and pogrom that uh, that they caused on Simchat Torah. Or there is a distinction to be made, or there's some other uh, uh, alternative that I'm not coming up with, but that there is this distinction to be made between card-carrying members of, of uh, Hamas and non card-carrying members of Hamas. And when you're fighting a war with ground troops on the, on the, with boots on the ground, I'm not sure how you make those distinctions. Yeah, I disagree with you on both counts. I think you're overestimating the amount that the Israeli government is going to give into international pressure in this situation. I think Bibi Netanyahu is not only his leadership style, but his entire future legacy is absolutely dependent on him finishing this job. And I don't think any Israeli government, uh, okay, but, uh, doesn't scare me to eliminate Hamas from existing uh, as a functional entity on planet Earth. Doesn't scare me at all. What scares me is that it's built up into his legacy. In other words, if, okay. it, was, if it was an objective that was a cold, calculated objective, that this is what the country Correct. needs. That's what that's what he needs. That his legacy needs to be the cold, calculated decision of what the country needs. That's what it has to be. So those two things are identical in, in my assessment. And I will, uh, uh, in terms of your. Your second point, that it's a binary, I disagree with you very strongly. I don't think it's a binary. Just because the rules have to adapt to a different scenario and situation doesn't mean that the rules are completely changed. So that, for example, uh, you know, people have compared this to Israel's Pearl Harbor or Israel's 9-11. I would ask you to think about what Japan looked like at the end of that conflict with America or what Afghanistan looked like at the end of that conflict with America. Not every civilian in Japan was dead. Not every civilian in Afghanistan was dead. But the government was completely toppled and their ability to function as a functional entity was gone. And so the collateral damage was frightening and it still is even in retrospect. But uh, that doesn't mean that the United States ever decided to intentionally murder civilians for no reason. That was never a United States goal. And so the fact that the rules of war, as Alan said, there's a paradigm shift here. And the elimination of Hamas means heavier casualties on both sides. And so I certainly agree with you that, as I said earlier, that this is going to be a heartbreaking battle. But Israel's Israel. And however hard we hit back, It's not going to change. It may change specific rules of engagement to deal with this new objective, but it's not going to change its overall core philosophy. And 
and intentionally hurt civilians. That it will not do. We're talking about this paradigm shift in Gaza, and I think we've like fully explained to you how it's totally been erupted. Um, but where my thoughts and concern really is, is in the north with Hezbollah. And when you talk about the paradigm there, it's definitely that of deterrence, that since this last war with Hezbollah, we've kind of had this understanding with them almost, you know, we don't want to start a war with you because neither of us is going to be able to come out of that unscathed. Um, and I think that's really being tested now. Um, I've heard Israeli uh, military experts say that if we think Hamas is bad, Hezbollah has 10 times the capabilities and capacities as them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's a few days in now and they still haven't really made any major moves into entering this war, I think we can really be hopeful that maybe this paradigm of deterrence with Hezbollah will really stick. Um, maybe I'm being too optimistic. That's really what I'm hoping for. And we really don't want to see Hezbollah entering in this. Um, and for now, I'm really just praying for this deterrence to stick in with Hezbollah. I think that's a, reason, a very reasonable optimism. I think that that 10 times the strength of Gaza is still is still uh, you know, a, a, a fraction of the IDF's capabilities. Alan was talking earlier about how, how students are, you know, we're supposed to have faith in the Israeli government to keep us safe now. Well, look at their track record. Look what they just did. They just blew it and Americans paid the price. I mean, Israelis paid the price. Which you can say, again, in Pearl Harbor or 9-11, how do I trust a government that just failed to be successful? And part of it is, I think, that dealing with a surprise is different than dealing once you make a plan. But also part of it is you you, you have to assess, assess capabilities. In other words, if I'm in a pickup truck and I'm a bad driver and you're on a bicycle and you're a really good driver and we come into contact, it doesn't really matter how bad a driver I am if I'm driving a pickup truck. I'm going to win that that clash. And so I don't I don't underestimate the capability of the Israeli government and certainly not of the Israeli army to deal with this, but even if they did do a bad job, the capabilities are there. So I think it is it is a very positive sign that we haven't had a serious again, Hezbollah is not stupid just as Hamas isn't stupid. Hamas is much more professional than we thought and we know Hezbollah is professional. If Hezbollah didn't jump in in this in a in a 73 style scenario to create two fronts at one, it now no longer has the element of surprise. We've mobilized our troops to the north and the south. Uh, I would not be surprised if Hezbollah does not engage, but the Israeli army eventually, when it feels it has some sort of decisive control of Gaza, decides to preempt Hezbollah. That is also not an impossible scenario uh, for the upcoming possibly months. Go ahead, Alan. So two two things. There's one on that piggybacking that a little bit is the, uh, you know, Troops are still heading up north. I just got my a friend of mine texted him this morning where you just keep checking in where our kids are because our kids are all in the army. Yeah, so yeah. His, his son just got called up as going up to the north. So we're very early stages of this whole thing. We're really we're just now coming out of the shock. So we really have like, you know, that's how I feel anyway. That's, again, my feeling. The second is a question for Jordana, because uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. And it's sort of picking off what Mordechai was saying, which is you you work for NGO Monitor, which monitors the what's happening in the outside world and right outside Israel and news news and all that. So Mordechai mentioned that he thinks that the um, huge support that Israel's finding from most you know not most all Western governments and and beyond even some right other than it, it, it is is really also unprecedented. And is, you know, we we all, at least in Israel, they've been sharing the pictures of all the different, you know, from Titus's arch to the White House that are going blue and white, right? So, um, uh, so Mordechai saying that has a very short 
light shelf. Just so for what you like, you're from your experience, just wondering what you think about that. It's funny. I was actually having that conversation with my father, and he would agree with you over there. Um, he thinks it's going to be very short. That the world's I'm totally not going to support this for so much longer, especially as the death count in Gaza and potentially even in Lebanon will continue to increase. That we're going to quickly lose the opposition. Um, what we are seeing from the world is we had recently the first European official. Um, what's his name? Uh, Joseph Burrell, who for the first time made the statement against Israel, saying that we are committing war crimes. And that was the first dissonant voice that we've started to hear. Um, but if you look away from the initial, these NGOs, these leading human rights organizations, they've put out some of these crazy statements, right? Not just condemning Hamas, the opposite. They've been justifying Hamas. They've been saying this is what happens when you lock a people in for 16 years. This wasn't the beginning of a war, right? This is like the continuation of what the Israelis have been doing to these people for many, many years. Um, and these are some of the leading voices. Um, these are huge organizations. We're, we're eventually going to see that trickling onto the news. If you're on social media, that's what like the average citizens are commenting. But we have great support from the American government and European governments. The peoples aren't really on our side, right? These people still have such a strong inherent anti-Semitism that we don't have the right to defend ourselves, right? If this is happening to anyone else, right, they'd be on our side. Even Biden said, right, if this happened to America, it would be quick and decisive, our actions. Um, but we don't have that luxury as Jews in Israel. So just, uh, again, I have a follow-up question to that and I'll, a comment, maybe Mike will comment after me. First of all, I think we have to, dis- when we say the people aren't on our side, that your 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 organization monitors a certain type of, you know, media and people. So I'm not so sure that that's right. We have to be careful when we say that the people aren't on our side. There, there is a certain voice is not. We know that. And they are vocal and they're very, they get much more um, publicity. Um, but I'm not so sure that you know, in, in the big picture, most people and, and uh, playing, but that my my real my real more direct question is is I, I don't want to put you on the spot. If you don't, it's fine, it's okay. But if you just have any example, like one example from a, an organization that you could share with us and, and name it. Here's just the first one on my thing. We have a legal researcher at Al Haq, which is leading Palestinian human rights organization, and they tweeted, "It is outrageous to call on Palestinian resistance permitted by international law." to seize its attacks while asking the occupying power only to respect international human law. And so that would be an interesting example from a Palestinian organization. If you want to continue going on, I could try to pull up one from a larger international NGO. Okay, well, while while you're looking, uh, and honestly, Alan, I don't know why you want to hear this. Like, I've seen enough of them to, like, I'm kind of done. uh, (laughs) Yeah, because I'm actually not looking at them. But I just want to point out one of those more major ones that the kids, like, you know, if it's Amnesty or one of those others. Oh, how about about Jewish organizations? If not now, which which put the full blame on Israel. Jewish Voices for Peace had an awful one. Jewish Voices for Peace, or maybe not Jewish ones, like Students' Voices for Palestine, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's the usual suspects. Uh, and 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 forgive my uh, French, but I don't know how else to say it in this scenario. Like like F them, A, and B. I I think, with all due respect to Jordana's dad and to Mordechai, I think that the paradigm change is going to be bigger uh, than uh, you guys think. In other words, in I hope you're right. Me too. But maybe maybe this this is this is this is cautious optimism, but it's also optimism based on calculation, which is that in previous rounds with Gaza, uh, you've had CNN showing Israelis in bomb shelters and and being nervous and then devastating destruction in Gaza. And so world governments respond to that. CNN is 24 seven 
showing you horrors, horrors. And we're not going to go into them on this podcast, but a level of evil and cruelty that intuitively any normal human with any normal frame of reference in the civilized world understands cannot be allowed to exist. And so what I will tell you I think is going to happen is, and by the way, not only from Western democracies, but even from allied Arab countries is maybe the occasional new, new, new wag of the finger of let's keep this as proportionate as we can. Let's try to reduce. We hope we can keep the and we look forward to a ceasefire. I am telling you, you're going to read history books 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Behind the scenes, these leaders of governments around Europe, America, the UAE, Saudi Arabia are going to be telling Israel, eliminate them. Egypt doesn't want Hamas to exist probably as much as Israel doesn't want Hamas to exist. And they're going to be told, just get... Saudi Arabia doesn't want Hamas Uh, to exist. uh, So what is Israel going to get? If in the press and on social media you get a new, new, new from a world leader, they're going to be measured. You know, of course, Israel has the right to defend itself, but we we really do hope that the level of civilian cash can be brought to a minimum. You know, our hearts go out to the innocent civilians of Gaza, and we hope this is brought quickly to an end. And, and Israelis and Jews will freak out. How dare this world leader say that we should, don't they know? I understand. But they're not listening in diplomacy speak, because what you're going to, you, people are going to freak out. That, what do you mean we have to care? But that's going to be diplomacy speak for, we've got your back. Take your time. And, and maybe maybe it won't be diplomacy speak for that. Maybe the outer diplomacy of some of these countries, especially the Arab countries, will be stop immediately. Okay. And then underground, they're going to be sending messages to Bibi saying, go, 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 go. From your mouth to God's ears. And I don't think we have to worry about Saudi Arabia or Egypt. I think those countries are actually much more supportive of, uh, of Israel. Um, and those countries don't even, don't exactly have a perfect human rights record. Um, but the absolute barbaric massacres that are playing right now on CNN, it's it's that um, those that play is going to um, end soon. And the what's next on the news cycle is going to see is going to be the uh, is going to be the Palestinian uh, Gaza Hamas excuse me Hamas um, uh, the Israeli attack on Hamas and it's 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 unbelievable the devastation that the bombing has caused um and i hope that the bombing continues and i hope that every single hamas member is is wiped out um but um but i believe those pictures are going to share a very different light and there's going to be a lot of pressure from those pictures um and i hope i'm wrong but tell me something were you did you feel a sense of trauma in the coverage of what's been happening? In other words, not just sadness at the tragedy. Did you feel a sense of trauma that I can't believe human beings are capable of this, even though I kind of knew I'm shocked but not surprised, but I'm in a state of shock? Tell me, if they weren't Jews, would you be feeling similarly if you saw this happen in another country? Certainly felt when ISIS did it in uh, in Syria, right? When they were beheading heads and stuff like that. For- Absolutely. And, and, and people called on America in fighting ISIS to be careful about civilians. That trauma doesn't go away quickly. That horror doesn't go away quickly. And so the sympathy that will exist will be ameliorated to a certain degree. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying uh, I don't think you're taking into account how heavy the other side is. When we got reports of what ISIS did, now, we're going to be treated differently uh, by a different standard in Israel. Fine, 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 fine. Okay. But it's not, I, I don't think look at 2014 as precedent. 
I want to circle back to those statements from the international organizations and back to Amnesty, because when we're talking about how they look at the Jews versus how they look at anyone else, um, Amnesty's statement really sums it up well, the way it's completely one-sided. Here they write in a statement that they published, the root causes of these repeated cycles of violence must be addressed as a matter of urgency. This requires upholding international law and ending Israel's 16-year-long illegal blockade on Gaza and all other aspects of Israel's system of apartheid imposed on Palestinians. The Israeli government must refrain from inciting violence and tension in the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem, especially around religious sites. Amnesty International calls on the international community to urgently intervene to protect civilians and further suffering. I blame Alan for that, that we spent a minute of our podcast uh, hearing, hearing... Listening to that. You're saying they're barbarians because there's a war? Or there was a wall because they're barbarians. If Amnesty International, if Amnesty International can't tell the difference, normal humans can tell the difference. Within the cult of this weird new, I don't know what it is. It's not liberal. It's not human rights. It's whatever this weird cult is of hating anybody with power and treating them as evil because they have power. Like the ability to defend yourself is evil. Within that weird cult, I guess that makes sense. But to no normal human does that make sense. And Amnesty International, which used to be an organization that did actual work is now losing its credibility around the world. I think, and I, so what I, I, I do have a, I do have some ulterior uh, points or motives for, for also wanting to hear a little bit of this. And in addition to the fact that I've just been avoiding them all um, and avoiding, I've also been avoiding the graphic pictures and CNN and all of those things. Um, I just don't feel like this person. CNN hasn't been showing very them. graphic. They've been showing aftermath and describing uh, right. Even that I've been most, I mean, looking very, anyway, but my point is back to the, this paradigm shift that Israel's made. I, part of the paradigm shift, and I think you see it across the, across the political spectrum in Israel from left to right, is that there is no other answer. There is no other answer other than a military objective of getting out of, uh, getting rid of Hamas. And when and when, and I think and I'm trying to get for our listeners, who I assume mostly are students in America and on campuses and are going to be facing this, that they, I think that they uh, that most people understand that that these organizations that are saying these things that they 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 they've not made any kind of paradigm shift, and that most people understand that uh, what they're saying they 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 have no solution, um, Amnesty and these others to the barbarism that. Um, that Hamas has shown and other organizations like it. Open the borders and let them come in. That's what they're saying. I know. I know that's what they're saying. And I think what we see now of what happened is that is actually what happens when you open the borders. We didn't even open the borders and that's what happened. Correct. And, and any solutions, right. And afterwards, people like Peter Beinart have nothing to say. But Amnesty International has the chutzpah to say, yes, this is what we want. This is what decolonization looks like. I've even seen a lot of these organizations post with the rhetoric, like, we hope for the safety of all people from the river to the sea. And like using that to include the Jews when it's like really a dig, right? It's that BDS movement. It's like from the river to the sea is what Palestine is meant to be. And that's what you hear these or these human rights organizations using that in this context. That's also really just been getting to me. The nerve of them. You, you made a comment that uh, so many of the listeners are... Uh... Uh, possibly uh, students on college, uh, and I just want to give a shout out to them that uh, they're doing so much incredible work right now at different universities, uh, holding pro-Israel rallies, 
um, that they they really deserve they they really deserve uh, a, um, yeah. a a huge Yesher Koach. Uh, Israel needs them. The Jewish people need them. And they need we need their work that they're doing, and, and that they should understand the importance of every single action that they're taking because it's so important to continue this pro-Israel uh, momentum. Uh, and on so many levels, they're carrying that burden uh, in some of the most difficult places. So I just want to give a shout out to them. We have the moral high ground. We have the moral high ground. Because Absolutely. What the, the organizations like Amnesty and these others are arguing for is, as Mike said, is the, is, is the destruction of certainly the Jewish people in, in Israel. And that destruction is not of a government over this it's it's beheadings and it's 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 massacre it's the destruction of the jewish people jew by jew by jew and we've always had this moral high ground that's nothing it's nothing new but sometimes it's just the events that happen make it all the more uh, powerful this isn't new information it's clarifying old information and and mordechai let me amplify what you're saying that not only rallies but even just contacting you know if you're not in israel just contacting friends and loved ones in israel don't I, I? I cannot agree with you more, Mordechai. It, it makes such a big difference, and don't underestimate. Uh, in fact, I have to contact some friends, and I didn't thank them enough. Now, in retrospect, like it meant so much to me, and I was like, "Don't worry, don't worry." And I didn't say, "You know what? Thank you." So I'm going to go back on my WhatsApp now. And if you're writing to friends and family in Israel, and they're only giving you like short answers, or not, or even taking a while. I know just me, sometimes I just can't open my WhatsApps and I just can't, like, I just, so forgive us also, have a little. But it means a lot, Alan, but you, don't you agree how much it means? It means a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. I've, I've, I've said, uh, uh, reach out to every Israeli you've ever met before, send them a WhatsApp, just tell them you care about them, and then I stand with Israel. That's all you have to write. It's, it might sound awkward, but it, the, what it does for us is incredible. And what we're able to do when we see soldiers and we're, and the the incredible, I mean, I, I just think it needs to be said, uh, so permit me for just uh, 30 seconds here, the outpouring from the Jewish world and from the entire Israeli public, from the right, from the left, from Haredim, from people that were um, in favor of the judicial uh, changes, against judicial changes, everybody coming together shoulder to shoulder, supporting what is going on in the country, I mean, you know, we gave a couple hundred dollars, a couple hundred shekels, and and uh, and uh, made uh, schnitzels for one of the soldiers that was going to his unit, and um, and I went to the supermarket to buy toothbrushes for them, and who did I see in the supermarket? Another neighbor doing exactly the same thing, and there are millions of Israelis that are involved in doing the exact same thing. Taking in families what, from with the couple south, shekels yeah. here. Taking in families from the south. It's yeah. incredible the amount of achdut, the amount of unity right now in Israel, and what we're doing to help the soldiers, and what we're doing to help the civilian population. And our heart goes out to those that are have uh, who who are hostages and the families that have hostages. It's just it's just incredible to see what is what's happening in Israel on that level. And, and I, you know, I just think that needs to be pointed out. Unfortunately, our enemies are our secret weapon in that it keeps us united and resolute and resilient. Uh, I, I just to, you know, just to, as, as we're wrapping up, I, I just want to I had a student last night ask me how to talk to people on campus. And my answer was not as smart as Alan's about, you know, so what is your solution? Um, and you don't have one other than genocide of the Jews. But the idea that we have to justify eliminating an entity that performs, I, I, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's, there, there, is a, there is a shocking, uh, uh, destructive philosophy going out in the world today that I think maybe we've seen the first blow against it. The normal people of normal understanding are going to look at that world philosophy and say, 
How can you support evil? There's something wrong. And, and I hope that the paradigm shift that Alan is describing that we're seeing unfolding now is only going to lead to a broader paradigm shift in Israel diplomatic relations, Israel support. I don't know how much the paradigm shift will be, uh, but I do think, uh, you know, and, and as, as we're all pointing out, that we're going to come out of it tragically hurt every sing- by every single fallen civilian and soldier. But in the end, as an I'm much stronger. And I, I, I wish we didn't have to pay this price for our freedom and our liberty and our and our self rule, but uh, but that's 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 what it is. So so you know we're looking forward to the brighter times after what's going to the light at the end of this what's going to be a dark tunnel. Um, but here we are, feeling feeling terrified and proud and 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 all the different feelings we're having. Uh, thank you, Jordana. Thank you, Mordechai. Thank you, Alan. Uh, please feel free to address us with questions. Contact your Masa teacher. Uh, uh, like, like Mordechai pointed out, we're always happy when we're reached out to by students. Join the WhatsApp update group. We're doing daily updates during the war. And uh, I'm Yisrael Chai. I'm Yisrael Chai. I'm Yisrael Chai. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Masa Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do. We hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massa fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.